Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Moving to Live and our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, firmly believe movement should be treated as a lifestyle. Moving to Live is committed to bringing you interesting interviews, and I think today's interview with Sam Wood, a physical therapist, ultra runner, adventure racer, and Spartan racer, is sure to spark interest for anybody who wants to learn more about running, and more specifically, running in natural footwear and running without injury. Moving to Live is back with another podcast episode. For those of you who listen to us, for those of you who don't, we are a podcast about movement. We believe movement should be treated as a lifestyle. We try to break down the knowledge silos by interviewing people, some you've heard of, some you haven't heard of, who have not only interesting stories, but are very credible professionals and can give you information that either you can take away for your practice or your coaching, or if you're an amateur aficionado, you can take something away and use it and apply to your training or possibly for improving your quality of life if you're just a regular mover. Today's guest I interviewed way, way back, I guess almost two years ago when I first started doing Moving to Live and I literally came across her name on LinkedIn and I'm glad I did. I use her story all of the time when I interview people by telling them that part of the thing that makes a podcast and makes guests interesting is the story. And the story I always tell about her is how she got into physical therapy. She finished running in college. She went home and she got a job skinning alligators and recognized she didn't like that. And that pretty much puts uh, guests, uh, guests at ease. So I am excited to have Sam Wood back again today. Sam is a physical therapist, an ultra runner, a Spartan athlete a ultra endurance mountain bike rider. And if you follow her on Instagram, you see some great pictures of the mountains in the Colorado Springs area. And usually a picture of her friend's dog too. And I wanted to have Sam on first of all, because when I interviewed her the first time, one of the things she had in her bio is she has done the Leadville 100 Ironman in sandals, but she's also a big fan professionally and personally in running in natural footwear and letting your feet and the muscles of your feet and your legs do the work rather than relying on 
technology and things that may prevent you from being a long-term runner because eventually muscles atrophy, et cetera. Uh, she recommended that I interview Dr. Ray McClanahan, the inventor of Correct Toes. I thought it made sense to come the full circle back to go from the physician who people might see to the physical therapist who can not only talk the talk, but also walk the walk. So Sam, thanks for joining Moving to Live for another interview. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, I'm super excited to be back. And I think the first thing that people want to know, because whenever you see somebody who's a runner and you've been out of school a few years, 10, 15, maybe 20 years, and it's very unusual for people who run in college to be running 20 years later because they've usually beaten themselves up. So I'm curious, when you had finished your running career in college, were you a beaten up and injured runner or were you still going strong thinking I'm invincible? Uh, for, so for a while, I was still going strong and thinking I was invincible. Um, I was very fortunate in college. I think I had shin splints a couple times. I never had a major injury or more than maybe a couple days of uh, ache or a pain. So, uh, but I also, you know, looking back, I wish I had kept better training logs. I don't think my mileage was necessarily what a lot of collegiate runners do. And maybe had it been, I, I might have had more problems. So as I... Um, finished college and started grad school. I was in physical therapy school and in part to keep my sanity, I was basically, I was either sitting, studying, or I was running and then sometimes on my bicycle. Um, And the running started to accumulate. I did some marathons and I thought, well, this is, I don't want to say this is easy, but the way I was doing them, I was like, you know, this is this is pretty fun. Uh, I did maybe four or five and then I started doing 50 Ks and then I did a 50 miler. Well, the 50 miler was where um, the wheels fell off (laughs) and it could have been, you know, looking back now, some of it could have been my training. Um, But it was very frustrating to me. I think at the time I'd been running 11 years competitively and no, no major injury. Um, And now I was a physical therapy student and I had an injury and I thought, well, this is kind of ironic. Um, So I went into, uh, I was in the military, I still am, but at the time I was going through the Army Baylor Physical Therapy Program. So I went in to see um, a physical therapist and they, I I don't know what their background was with running. And I think part of it was they were still following the old paradigm. So they're like, you know, strengthen your glutes, strengthen your core, and uh, you won't uh, have too much trouble with this hip injury in the long run. And I just didn't find that to be true. I did all the physical therapy that I knew. And for about five years, I struggled with hip injury and then sometimes a foot injury. So by age 25, I thought maybe I need to stop running um, because I could not run without pain every single day. Sometimes it was a two out of 10. Sometimes it would stop me and send me home. But that's, that's kind of how it all started. And what about now? multiple years later, do you ever run with pain or do you find that with your training, and I know from reading your bio, you also do some strength training aside from the running. uh, What's your findings now versus when you were 25 or 26? So it's funny, uh, over the years, I almost, I kind of want to redefine pain. I think the body has sensitivities and there is such a thing as you need to stop sensitivity. Um, but I don't run with the pain that I had. And I would say 99% of the time, I don't have any pain when I run. And if it is pain, um, it, 
you know, if it is affecting my gait, maybe I rolled my ankle on a rock or, or something, usually it's something external that happened. Um, I'm not really uh, getting before I would, I would just have pain no matter what I did with my trading plan. And now it's usually a pretty obvious cause if something does cause pain and, and I'm able to work through that. Um, but one of the things that had to change was I had to learn to actually listen to my body. And it's so ironic as a physical therapist, a lot of people, I don't think they really know what it means because I teach it in the clinic every day. They're like, listen to my body. Um, well, if I listen to my body, I'd be on the couch, you know, eating potato chips all day or something like that. So I say, well, you know, there's, there's a difference. So I, I teach a lot of that, but um, basically what it comes down to is if you're doing something and you think I can't come back out here tomorrow and do this again, you're probably going too hard. And there's a time and place to go hard. Um, I go hard. I joke with my friends, like maybe three or four days in an entire year, I go hard. And that's at the world championship Spartan race, the Ledbo 100. That's when I kind of shut some of those signals down and I compete, but your training and your daily movement, your daily life should not be painful. And I'm curious, in addition to the uh, knowledge that comes with age and education, I'm curious how much you think the reduction in, and I'm putting it in air quotes, pain is reduced because of a change in running surfaces. I know for most of the pictures I see on social media, you're running and you're moving on soft surfaces. You're not running on roads, which many people, when they think, I want to run a marathon or I want to run uh, a half marathon, they do a lot of their training on the roads. They do. And I think, I think to run on the roads, you have to be very careful about conditioning your body because it's a, it's a different, it's a different stimulus than the trail. So I do run a lot of trails in part because they're beautiful. I don't have to worry about vehicle traffic. Um, so the air tends to be cleaner and you know, it's, it's the trail. So it's really nice. Um, you're also varying your gait a lot. And when you're on the road, you tend to have roughly the same gait pattern, unless you're on a really nice course where you're, you're on rolling heels and that kind of helps a little bit. But you know, when I was re when I was kind of rehabbing myself and, and trying to get into more natural footwear, I spent a lot of time barefoot and I actually preferentially sought out hard, smooth surfaces. So that was a clean sidewalk or a clean road. And that's actually where I learned my proper movement. So it's, it's kind of ironic because yes, pavement in a way can be pounding, but it depends. Okay. So uh, I don't know if we want to talk about shoes yet, but there are plenty of, you know, smaller studies that will talk about and show you how the more cushion that you have in your shoe, the harder you actually land. And I, having been someone who I was in hokas and orthotics when I was in a lot of pain. So I was, I was at that extreme and now I can, you know, still, because I'm doing it once or twice a week, I can still go and do three to five miles barefoot run on the road and nothing feels better. That feels just as comfortable to my body as the trail, but it's the way that I'm running. And I'm curious, I think it's all, first, it's important to say that your three to five miles barefoot on the road have been after a number of years of conditioning your body to do that. It's not, if somebody's listening to this, it's not something, hey, go out tomorrow and do that. Yes, no, don't do that. I would have my license revoked immediately. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I started that process in 2015. Um, so it's it's been a long road uh, to get there, but it 
you know, and, and, and there are plenty of programs and, and we can provide some resources for people to help them understand just how slow that process is. I spent a lot of time barefoot before I took a step jogging. My first day jogging, I think, was 25 meters at a 12-minute mile pace. And I know there's something out there that they call slow jogging that they're out of Japan that they recommend for people who are told that they never run. They, they're, they're told, don't run again. There's, I don't remember his name, but uh, there's a whole slow jogging movement. And if you do a YouTube search, you can find these people. It looks like they're barely running, but they're moving at a pace significantly faster than walking with the idea being eventually to have the motion that you're doing while slow jogging actually be at a significantly faster pace. Yes. And I, I'd been given some really good advice. Um, when I started my transition and I, and I started, I mean, I was reluctant. I started it out of necessity. I just couldn't run without pain and I got really tired of it. And I was active duty military at the time as well. So it was very important to me to actually be able to pass the PT tests, uh, being a physical therapist. It was very frustrating. I, so I wanted to fix this. Um, and some of the advice that I'd been given was little, little tips like go slower than you need. Um, once your feet get tired, stop, don't wait till they hurt. Don't wait till they're sore. Stop when they're tired. Um, and there were some programs again that progressed very, very, very slowly. Um, never working out two days in a row, that sort of thing. So I, the slower you go, the faster you get there in this case. And I'm curious, that brings to mind two questions. First of all, as an athlete, um, you said that you approached this just kind of as a last resort, but what was your attitude as far as when you were going so slow and maybe you couldn't run two days in a row? Were you like, this is crap, I can't do this, or this is never going to get any better, or did you trust the process? I think in my case, it was easy to trust the process because preceding me starting to spend a lot of time barefoot and trying to barefoot jog, I hadn't run for almost six months and I had had a groin injury and a foot injury on my right side. And the foot injury was kind of off and on. Sometimes it hurt, sometimes it didn't. The hip injury just felt worse, even as I was taking time off and cross training. So I, one of the things that happened, so I, being active duty at the time, I put boots on every day, even if I'm in the clinic. So I'm in my combat boots. Um, they've made some positive changes to certain brands of combat boots, but essentially they're all pretty stiff um, even today. And so being in stiff shoes, I didn't realize that when you spend a lot of time in stiff shoes, it makes your foot stiff. Um, and whether or not you have pain in your foot, that stiffness in your foot and ankle can be affecting your hip, your knee, your back, and so forth. So I had a concussion. This is in January 2015, and I'd slipped on ice, and um, it, it, it was one of those embarrassing injuries. I was looking around like, did anyone see that? I thought I was fine, but I actually had trouble um, working for about two weeks. So I, I had um, difficulty controlling my blood pressure and my heart rate, and so it was just hard for me to get up and walk around. Uh, during that time when I was at home and I was out of my combat boots, my foot and my hip started to feel better. And I hadn't seen any improvement with anything over the course of six months. So to answer your question, um, once, I, once I felt that change, I started doing more research. And I said, you know what, I am totally 100% committed to this because my body for the first time in a long time is actually giving me the feedback that I'm 
wanting to see. And before you'd had that two weeks or so off, were you aware of natural footwear and getting out of cushioned shoes and orthotics such as Hocus? Yes. Yes. And I should backtrack. In 2014, I made an unsuccessful transition. <laughs> and uh, it, it kind of worked for a little while. I didn't run barefoot. Um, I had transitioned to ultras and Brooks at the time was making a fairly minimalist shoe. And I was running and doing really well with that. Uh, or, well, so I thought. But I think what happened to me and what happens to a lot of folks, aside from possibly transitioning too quickly, is they, their gait patterns don't really change that much. So there, there's a lot of good analogies, but um, one that I'm going to steal is if you're banging your head against the wall, adding, you know, cushioning your head with a pillow is going to help you. And so I took some of that cushion away and some of that support, and I was still banging my head against the wall. Um, and I think that actually led to an overuse injury in my foot and hip, or made it worse because I'd had injuries there before. But it, it set me back for that six months prior to and kind of switching gears, so I think we'll do a little switching back and forth. As a professional and as a physical therapist, from what you've seen, can pretty much everybody transition to natural footwear? Or are there some people just because of their biomechanics, the way their body is made up, that's like, you know, this might not be the best thing for somebody like you? That's a great question. Um, I would say what I see in the clinic, a lot of times by the time folks get to the clinic, if they're older and they've really had decades of being in footwear that has caused alignment issues in their feet and a lot of weakness, I think everyone can do something to make their foot health better and their mobility and their feet and ankles better. Um, you know, obviously depending, have they had a surgery? Do they have a fusion or arthritis? Um, the more extreme cases, I think they may need some special support or special shoes. Um, if you're, if you're diabetic, you really need to protect your feet, but that doesn't mean you can't come out of your shoes in a safe environment and do rehabilitation. That's going to improve your sensation, um, your, you know, your proprioception, your mobility in your feet, your strength and so forth. So there's that component. And there's also this entire, there's, there's a whole neurological component that goes with getting awareness of your feet. I mean, if you're going to be walking on your feet, you should take care of your feet. And I'm curious, switching back to the personal performance, what was the impetus to say, I want to start doing some ultra runs in sandals, where if you're running on trails, there's rocks, depending where you are, there's cactus spines and various other things. So for a while, because barefoot works so well, I spent about three months, you know, I'd, I'd wear shoes to work, I'd try to go minimal. But when I was when I was running, when I was building up my running, I would only do it barefoot. And when uh, sometimes in between my barefoot running days on that rest day, I would take a, a barefoot walk. Uh, and the reason I did that is I actually tried. Um, I'm going to show you a thin sandal here, just so you can get an idea. I have some like props here. So <laughs> if I put this thin sandal on at the time, I would immediately have foot and hip pain running. And I thought to myself, okay, how long have I been running incorrectly that that little bit of change in the feedback then changes that whole neurological loop and I'm moving differently. Um, so eventually I was able to wear this and in, in basically most shoes aren't, aren't going to, aren't going to do this, right? They're not going to curl up. There are some minimalist shoes that curl up like that. Um, 
But for me, I needed my toes to spread and my foot got so wide running barefoot that I couldn't, like most shoes irritated my feet. So it was a necessity thing as well. And I wanted to go on some trails and vary my terrain. So I, uh, I progressed into sandals and really for two years, I almost didn't run in shoes at all. It was either barefoot or sandals. And I think it's interesting. You say your foot got wider. Uh, I've run in ultras for probably five or six years. And I remember interviewing you and you had mentioned correct toes. And then after, after interviewing Dr. McClanahan, it's like, well, I'm going to break my correct toes that have been sitting in a box out. And I found over the course of about the last three months, my shoe size has gone up a half a shoe size. And what, oh, used, wow. and what used to feel extremely uncomfortable wearing the correct toes, and I did work, work into doing it, now it just feels completely normal. And a toe that really didn't want to AB duct, I'm noticing, is starting to quiver. So the information that you're saying, what Dr. McClanahan says, works even for somebody who is a little bit north of 50. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the key is a lot of these things that when, as we're trying to improve our body, especially it depends on our age and how long we, our bodies have been used to one thing. Yeah. If I have a, you know, the correlation is if I had a, a patient come in the clinic and bed mobility, just getting in and out of bed was an issue. I wouldn't have them deadlift 500 pounds. And you're like, well, of course not. But it's, it's very similar with the feet. If your toes are out of alignment or maybe your arch hasn't properly flexed in a long time, it's just stiff. Um, the last thing you want to do is, go and challenge that <laughs> with the, the hardest thing you can think of. And I'm curious, I know that you still do quite a few races and running, et cetera. And I've noticed from the pictures, et cetera, there's a transition away from sandals into shoes. Is there a reason for that? A lot of it has to do with the climate. Um, typically in the winter here in Colorado, I've tried to, I've, I've, I've maintained a lot of sandal running. Uh, but this year I trained for the Hurt 100 uh, trail run, and that's in Hawaii in January. We had a particularly snowy winter in Colorado. And so I really, for traction purposes, in order to get um, spikes for the ice on my feet, I have to have some type of shoe. And the shoe has to be a little bit stiff. There has to be some protection there. Um, I'll also, so if I, you know, if I were telling people, if you want to go out and do a race and perform at your absolute best, and you're just going to push your body. You're not necessarily there to have fun. You know, uh, I found I do a little bit better in a shoe because I can kind of just throw away, like I try to keep good mechanics, but I can kind of just go and bomb downhill, for example, um, or, you know, I can, well, let's say it rains, it, sandals become a problem in the rain and mud. So I just don't have to worry about those things in a shoe. Um, what I've made sure to do, however, because I actually start to get pain running if I haven't been out of my shoes. So I usually maintain a few barefoot walks on my lunch break. And then at least once a week, I try to do a barefoot run um, to maintain the spring in my feet, the strength. And then also um, sort of that, again, that neurological loop. I, I tell my patients all the time, I'm like, if you think about someone who's really good at something like an NBA player, you know, they've been shooting free throws for two decades or however old they are and they're really good at it, but they still practice, you know, a million shots all the time. And it's, it's just to get that muscle memory. So I, I have to keep that even if I'm in shoes a lot because old habits, it's somewhere in my brain how to overstride and it will come back if I don't 
check on it once in a while. And I know you mentioned you're still in the military. So I imagine when you go for training, you have to wear combat boots. Do you notice after a weekend or after two weeks that there's some hip pain or some foot pain or some knee pain because you've been wearing the combat boots? Yes, absolutely. It's funny you say that. I, I had to this last weekend and uh, even for two days, I mean, I noticed an immediate and, and, and I think to some degree, that's the way my body responds because it knows different. Um, so it happens very quickly. Um, a lot of folks, once they get out of their stiff shoes and then they start moving, they put the stiff shoe back on, they can feel the difference and their body starts to reject it. It actually, their shoes I used to wear comfortably that I, I can't put on my feet um, because I, I'll have pain. Um, so that, that's probably the one area that's the most difficult, um, especially if I need to activate and, and, and wear those boots for a long time. I have to have recovery tools. Um, I pack, actually have my correct toes. I pack these with me when I travel and, uh, and usually some type of massage tool or ball so I can mobilize my feet. And, uh, and then I just, you know, when I'm not at work, I'll, I'll go barefoot and just include a lot of barefoot walking. So you can somewhat mitigate it, but you know, my preference is to never be in a boot again. I just, I really love my military career. I'm curious with the combat boots, are you able to get wide enough combat boots so you could wear the correct toes with the combat boots? I I do think that exists. It's been a struggle. And I, and I think the issue is uh, most soldiers, when they're shopping for boots, there's an online selection, which is very large. And then there's a selection of boots you can actually try on um, locally. And so I tend to buy whatever they have locally. Um, and it, I actually, I tend to not wear them because let's say I have those correct toes on all day and they start to irritate or they start to slip a little bit. Uh, it's just a lot of work to get my boot off and take well, Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, Oh, I got my toes. Um, but I might wear them at night. You know, if, if that's the case, if I'm in my boots a lot, it, that's typically a little bit easier. I know there are a lot of runners who go to physical therapy and have the experience that you had a few years ago. It's like, well, I'm doing all these things that the physical therapist is telling me to do, or in your case that I know I should do for my education and it's not working. When you get a runner or you get a walker, somebody who comes into your clinic with something that has been a recalcitrant injury and you come up with what you're telling them or suggesting they do with their rehab, which for traditional medicine is way off in left field, but is slowly growing and has its proponents and has people say, you know, it works. So even if there's not large studies, this is something that's at least worth approaching if what you've been trying isn't working. Do you have any people or do you have a problem with your patients saying, this is crap, it's not going to work, it's, that, that's way too long if, I, if it's going to take me eight months to get back to doing what I want to do? I think um, I usually approach it from a standpoint of I, I kind of try to feed into their curiosity. So I ask them a lot of questions because when people talk about what has failed them, then you can kind of insert this thing of, okay, we're going to try to actually, you know, you've been immobilizing your feet, for example, you haven't been using them. You had shots or steroid shots. Um, so usually, you know, that actually builds the frustration. I say, okay, well, I want to do something different. And, and most people are very open to that idea. And I don't necessarily present it um, as this necessary, like, I don't, I don't want to give them everything at once. So one of the articles I reference a lot uh, is, and you're probably familiar with it, because I feel like it, it's in certain communities, it's discussed a lot, but it's a, 
comparison study from 1905 from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery, I believe it is. And so you might have heard of that, Ben, but basically um, this guy back in 1905 published a study comparing shoe-wearing people's versus um, folks that, you know, just kind of grow up running around barefoot or in very basic sandals. And it's just such a beautiful article in terms of looking at, because people look at that and they say, oh my God, that's my feet. And it's like <laughs> the malaligned foot. Um, and then I say, you know how a baby's foot looks, you know, it's like our toes should be like that. And here's, and I start to explain why they're having their problems and give them some very basic biomechanics. And, and honestly, I have yet to meet someone who at least intellectually has not bought into that. Um, and it's, for me, it's not about my patients believing a certain thing. I want them to experiment and test and, you know, let's use some common sense. Let's look at what the research says. Um, so I mean, honestly, if someone comes in and they're like, I'm wearing orthotics and I feel great and that's what I want to do, then I'm not necessarily trying to change them unless they're just fed up with maybe they have pain or back pain, you know, Um, but I want them to come to me ready to to make a change. I think what's interesting about people who embrace at any level the natural running of using footwear where your feet actually have room to move around or if they transition a little bit farther like you do to sandals and or and or barefoot is there seems to be I don't know if it's innately or something that develops that this is not just something you do it's not like a quote unquote I'm doing rehab for my foot or I'm doing rehab for my hip it's something that you it's like look I need to do this basically as long as I'm going to be active. And I think you've touched on this by saying, you know, I love my military career. I'm, I'm in combat boots sometimes, but I recognize that I have to do things when I'm outside of my combat boots so I can continue to do it. Do you find that with patients that you get who come in, and I would imagine in many cases they come in and they're very, very depressed and disappointed because they can't do what they want to do, whether it's run at an elite level or just get out and run around with their kids, that as they start to see, oh, this is working a little bit, I'm getting a little bit better, I still hurt sometimes that they become kind of uh, disciples of it and start to say, give me more, give me more, tell me what else I can do? Yes, if I if I have them as patients long enough and they don't run out and say, I'm better, I, you know, um, it's, it's, but as soon as people get a handle on it, they really can't, they really do tend to be very independent, which is perfect. Um and some conditions, you know, you, what's interesting is there's a lot of folks that, you know, maybe we work on some mobility and have them wear some toe spacers and just do a few simple things and they already start to feel better. Um, and they see that their body can change. You know, a lot of people get stuck in a mindset and they forget that their body can change with what they do. And then my job, I, I usually take it upon myself. I start asking a lot of questions because I want to know how can we make this last for you? What does your day look like? What does your life look like? What do you like to do? And how can, you know, we take the things that I know are working for you right now in the clinic and build on that slope and just make it a daily activity. Um, I, I enjoy, it's funny. I enjoy my barefoot walks um, on my lunch break and it's a time to, you know, take a walk and get fresh air, but it feels good. I mean, I don't, it doesn't matter what I was thinking about in the clinic or mulling over. Uh, it's, automatically I'm just transformed in a super relaxed state. So I don't have to push myself to do that. And it's something I look forward to. And I try to find whatever that is for my patients um, once they start to feel better. Because once they're on the right track, yes, it may take a few months. Um, You know, I give them my card. They can email me anytime. 
they don't have to necessarily um, keep coming in and, and, and paying us money once they have a handle on what they're supposed to be doing. And I'm curious because I know with medicine uh, and insurance, sometimes insurance pays for a set number of physical therapy visits and then it's done. Do you find that you have some patients who they're seeing success, but they recognize, and there are some people who just are not self-motivated or they want somebody to look over them and say, yes, you're doing this right. No, you're doing that wrong. Do you find that there are a fair number of patients who say, you know, I'd like to continue to come and pay out of pocket? We, we do have some. Um, I think a lot of folks, at least with foot and ankle health, um, I've, over the years, I've learned how, how to kind of make it simple. And if I, if they're there for their knee or their hip, and maybe we are focusing a little bit on that area, but I check their feet and ankles, I send them home with what I, what I tell them is this is propaganda. I want you to look at this and I want you to make you know, your own conclusion on it. And if this is something you want to work on, you know, just let's talk at your next visit. Um, so there are, there are some people that will pay out of pocket, but honestly with this stuff, it, once folks buy into it, it's so simple and they start to get benefits pretty quick that most people don't need to do that. Somebody's listening to this and, you know, maybe they're a runner and they're saying, well, you know, right now I'm running in, let's just throw it out. I'm not going to actually name any brand of shoes because we don't want to, you mentioned I Hoka. I did earlier, sorry about that. You, <laughs> you, you mentioned Hoka, but it could be any of a number of brands that have very, very cushioned shoes. And they say, well, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I don't really hurt. Sometimes I hurt. Why should I change? And I mean, they may not be seeing you in the clinic, but I mean, I know when you're running the trails or you're at the coffee shop or something, somebody sees you and they say, Hey, I've heard about this because you're a physical therapist. And it's kind of like when you see your auto mechanic, you say, Hey, my Jeep's making this funny noise. So when they say this to you, what's, what's your comment to people who haven't had problems? You know, if, if folks don't have any problems, um, they're a pretty amazing human being. <laughs> Most runners, if you start to ask them, um, they, they have some niggles and, and it may or may not be related to their shoes and their footwear, could be their running style because their training program, um, they may just be doing too much. So uh, I'm reluctant to push too hard. Um, you know, my barefoot propaganda, so to speak. It's for me, it's more about um, if you are having a problem or maybe you have this reoccurring injury and you're doing fine now, um, but you're worried about an upcoming race, a lot of runners will say, you know, I have um, this hamstring issue or this ankle issue and I can run, but I'm, I'm not where I want to be. And so then I tend to pry a little bit. Um, one thing that I think is helpful too, you know, and folks can go look at the, it was published in 2014, but I don't think it's been updated. And that's the American College of Sports Medicine um, running shoe guidelines. And it, it just talks about how basically a shoe is meant to protect your foot. And so the amount of protection you need is going to vary depending on what you're doing in the terrain, understandably. Um, I've got like a thicker shoe here. So if people see, you know, that's thicker and it has some cushion. Um, I have a thicker sandal that I wear sometimes when I run. And so the idea is, you know, to pick the protection that you need for your body where it's at right now on that day. So it, it can be extremely variable. Um, but in terms of transitioning, again, it's more about just making, I think it's more about making your feet healthier and your ankles healthier and the system work better. So you're more resilient. Uh and I know if I was probably 10 years ago and I was having this conversation as a constantly injured runner, 
who love to race and love to do it, I would probably say, well, that's nice, Sam, but it's not for me. And I don't know if it's because I've gotten older or it's because to me, the idea of a fun time is to go out and run in the woods, fart lick with my dogs. That's, I'd rather do that than a race. That now it's kind of like, you know, I'm going to do the things that I need to do. But I know that many runners are competitive. And you've described something that takes a great deal of patience to go from somebody who's an injured runner. And it's very difficult to get a runner to say, hey, you need to really reassess what you're doing. And it may take six months, eight months, 10 months to do that. And I think what it also is a something that, to discuss or, or mention here is not all medical professionals are going to be willing to do something or work with a patient for six, eight, 10 months. They're going to say, well, if this doesn't seem to be working. Maybe you shouldn't run. And I know there are a number of people out there. I know Dr. McClanahan, I'm going to butcher his name, the, uh, so I'm going to let you say it. They say you can run, but it may be much, much slower and much shorter distances than you think you should be able to. Correct. Um, and so, I mean, I had to slow down significantly when I started, but for me, it was about running for my whole lifespan or as much of my lifespan as I possibly can, because I just love to run. Um, and I had a certain number of competitive years. I felt like I didn't have to prove myself. If I was able to get back to competition, that's great. But that wasn't my primary driving factor. I think when you look at most competitive runners, you know, as you said, there's a lot of collegiate runners that for whatever reason they get out of it, but, but for a lot of them, you know, they push really hard and they do have these injuries um, I listened to a great podcast with Ryan Hall, uh, I think it was last week. And, you know, he talked about the, just the total body stress that it takes. And he talked about, you know, having foot pain that changed his gait and he was never quite the same. So, you know, people have to really evaluate where it is that they want to head and where they're at. Um, and if you're just trying to be good for a year or two, then by all means, you know, just go as hard as you can. And, I hope that works out. But for a lot of folks, eventually our bodies are, are going to rebel. I mean, and I shouldn't say rebel. Our bodies will do a lot to support us and compensate for a long time. And they're, they're, amazing, um, they're amazing things. But at some point, we want to be a little bit more intuitive. So listening to, okay, why is that area always tight? You know, um, And is my gait different now maybe than it was a few years ago? I think it's interesting. Everybody that I've interviewed for Moving to Live, it seems that as they get beyond 30 to 35, they start to say, you know, the most important thing is not necessarily the competition, although I like it, but I want to do fill in your favorite activity, whether it's running, whether it's biking, whether it's weightlifting, you know, whether it's CrossFit, whatever it is, I want to be able to do this the rest of my life. And I don't know if that's a maturity thing or as you said, hey, I've had some competition and I've enjoyed it, but I realize it's the whole process that I like, not getting the free t-shirt and the medal. Right. And I think, you know, it, when you're a teenager and probably in your early 20s, you think 50 is old. <laughs> 50, that's so old. And then, you know, as you, I think somewhere, you know, in your 30s, you start to understand 50 is not old. I'm, I'm like, it's not going to be that long and I'll be 50. Um there's, there's life after 40 and 50 and 60. So um, I think it is a natural evolution for people to start to want to pay more attention to their body. And, you know, I, I got away with a lot of bad habits for a long time and, and not necessarily on purpose. There's a lot of things I didn't know that I had to learn the hard way. Um, 
but I, uh, yeah, I just want to encourage people to take care of their body and put that first, you know, and if you need motivation to do that, just Google, you know, ultra marathoner runner, you know, injury, like just, just look online and you'll see that a lot of these competitive runners, you know, um, and I don't, I don't say they should, people shouldn't do that if that's what they really want to do. Um, that's an amazing human feat, what a lot of runners end up doing in their careers. But most of us, I think if we really evaluate our values, that's not necessarily what we're trying to do. Um, so we, you only have one body. <laughs> I know that uh, one of the things, depending on where you are geographically, it can be difficult to find the shoes. And I know Dr. McClanahan has on his website, which will have a link, how to figure out if you're wearing the right size shoe. He talks about uh, taking out the insole of the shoe and standing on the insole. And if your shoes, or excuse me, if your toes splay out to the side, then you need to find a wider shoe because the idea is to let the feet spread out and the muscles actually do the job. For somebody who maybe lives someplace, and I'll put myself out there, I'm fortunate enough that I have a little bit of education and I have people that I can ask like you, but Local stores don't sell those shoes. Um, I was in a running store this weekend with my girlfriend, and she was looking for a pair of ultras, and they had two models of ultras and nothing in her size. And she fortunately has me, and she can piggyback off my knowledge. But for somebody who's listening to this, where can they get some information as far as figuring out what do I look at for shoes? Uh, where do I go to figure out how do I take it very, very slow rather than saying, oh, well, here's a running magazine that says here's a 10-week program mm -hmm. to, run, to run a marathon which if you're genetically gifted or what I call a genetic freak that works but we used to joke when I was doing Ironman triathlons the most important thing was getting to the starting line and you'd rather be untrained than getting to the starting line and either be overtrained or injured. Absolutely um, so there were a few resources that I used heavily when I first got going um, I was, a f I'm friends with Dr. Mark Kukazella and he has a website, naturalrunningcenter.com. And so that was one of those places I went to just kind of read some of his articles. And he also had a lot of information on shoes because he has a minimalist shoe store um, in West Virginia. So that that's one place I went. Um, another, so I kind of used, uh, there's a gentleman named Michael Sandler. And, uh, he, I kind of used him as an inspiration because he had had a major accident, had a hip replacement, lots of knee surgeries and was able to get back to running. And I looked at him and I said, well, my injuries are not nearly as severe. Surely if he can, I can do it. Let me see what he has to say. Well, he and his wife wrote two books. One is called barefoot walking and the other is called barefoot running. And I bought barefoot running. Um, mm. but, but what I like is they, they really gave really good information on like, here's how to listen to your body. Here's some drills. Here's some easy things to start with. Here's what you should feel. Here's where you should not feel. And then a gradual progression of sort of a walking or, or jogging program, depending on what the person wanted to do. But it, it, it was a little more touchy feely. And I like that because there's a lot of folks that, I mean, everything is so black and white and, you know, there are some things, there's soreness, there's stiffness, there's pain. Those are all different things. Um, there's a stretching sensation. Sometimes I ask my patient, how's that feel? They say it hurts. And I say, well, what do you mean? And by the time we get to the end of this long conversation, they were feeling pressure, you know? So um, I, I, I felt that those are very good resources to kind of help guide, guide me through that process. Um, and then over the years, you know, I've, I've been on the internet and I've, I, I probably bought just about every brand of minimalist shoe at some point over the year. Um, 
the bottom of a shoe. So you were talking about, you know, the take it, pulling the insole out and using that to kind of guide if the shoe is going to fit you. But um, this is a soft star shoe. It's called a soft star primal. But this is, you see this toe box. This is even more primal, so to speak, than a than an ultra shoe. And ultra is kind of known for their white toe box. Um, but this shoe is, I, I joke around. So this is my work shoe. And I call it, uh, I tell my patients, if a duck ever wore bowling shoes, like this is what it would be like. Because it's so wide. People comment, but you know, and I thought people would, kind of joke about my shoes at work and I have a lot of 60 plus year olds come in and they go those shoes look so comfortable and they're wearing big orthopedic shoes that you know they're walking almost peg leg because they're nothing bends and they say those look so comfortable and I say well are you comfortable walking barefoot in your house and they go yeah and I go okay well you can you know try these out or or something similar you know and just build up to it um and I've watched a lot of people improve their balance and their strength and um, it's, it's just interesting. So there is some experimentation. There is some time online. Um, I know not all folks have those resources to actually get their foot into something. Um, but the books I think are very helpful in terms of knowing like, what does it look like? Um, I should also send you a link cause I wrote an article on what a good, what is a healthy shoe? Um, and people might want to check that out. It goes in depth on that. And we can have that in the show notes. I, I know from what you said about online, if you get online and drop down the rabbit hole, there are probably conservatively 10 to 15 different companies that make various types of natural f- footwear. And some of it is exceedingly ugly. And some of it is so ugly. It's like, that's really cool looking, kind of like the bowling shoe that you just held, held up a few minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I think I actually mentioned this the first time we talked, but what I promote, if I promote anything in a shoe, it's that the, the cushioning isn't excessive. So, and that's going to be different for whoever, whoever is wearing the shoe. So some people may need a little bit more cushioning for what they're doing and for where their body is at at the moment. Um, but the biggest thing is I like for people to be in flat footwear and I don't like their toes or their metatarsals to be compressed. So if you're compressing the metatarsals, you're essentially asking for foot pain. You're asking for Morton's neuroma, which is where um, there's nerves that run between those bones. And if you compress that, um, you'll basically feel like there's a hot poker going into your foot. It's a very painful condition. A lot of people just need wider shoes. Um, And again, your toes should really be splayed, completely splayed when you're weight bearing with no restriction. That is hard to find, but but that is what I push people towards. And at least, thankfully, there are companies now that offer. By the way, if you're really having trouble and you can get away with sandals, wear sandals as much as you can. Find a sandal that works for you because you're not going to have to worry about that whole toe box situation as much, and your 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 foot's going to be more likely to move um, naturally. I think that's great advice from Sam Wood, physical therapist. I think one of the things you just hit on there, whether you realized it or not, is you said uh, where your body is at. And I know that as I've gone down this path, just personally, just because I treat myself as an N of one and figure, well, worst case scenario is if I get injured, I can hobble along, is (laughs) my footwear needs have changed. And I remember when I first uh, interviewed you, we talked a little bit about ultra footwear and I said, well, I, you know, I like lone peaks, but I can't run in the king, the king shoot, the king model that you have. And I found over the last three or four months, those have become my most comfortable shoes. And I don't know 
exactly why it is. It's probably a combination of spending more time in sandals and shoes like Sanooks and using correct toes. But I know what I did now is not what I did a year and a half ago. And if I go back six or seven years ago, I was like you wearing Hoka's or New Balance uh, shoes that were very cushioned with a nice expensive pair of carbon fiber orthotics, which I have no idea where they are now. Yeah, and, and there was a point earlier, um, I thought of mentioning when we were talking about shoes and cushioning, and I said, you know, a lot of studies show that if you're, if you're landing with cushioning, you tend to land harder. Um, there's so much technology in a shoe uh, that is geared toward having a spring. So you might see some ads and it talks about the spring that the shoe has but our feet have springs. And if we've been in footwear that is trying to recreate that spring, I guarantee you it's not going to be as good as your natural spring when you've trained it. So when I, now these days, when I go for a barefoot run, there's, there's nothing, I almost hate putting a shoe back on because it's more work in a sense. Um, if, if viewers can imagine jump roping and you're at a nice kind of springy cadence, you're not moving your legs up and down like a squat. You're just kind of holding your muscles isometrically and you're using your tendons and your Achilles and feet to kind of do the bounce. So running should be more like that. And a lot of people have developed more sort of this where they're using a lot of muscle. Once you take away that spring from the feet, if you have too much cushion, that's what starts to happen. And you start to use your muscles differently in order to propel yourself forward. So there's all these little biomechanical issues that um, they really do fly under the radar for a long time for a lot of people. But once I just encourage people, don't do anything stupid. Don't go out and run, you know, a mile barefoot um, if, you've, if you've never done that. But experimenting and being barefoot more and you know, looking at some of these resources here and saying, okay, where am I at? I'm in shoes that squeeze my feet. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to experiment with toe spacers for a few months and see what happens. You know, just implement one little thing at a time. There's no hurry and you don't have to change everything all at once. I think we've had some great insight from Sam Woods. She's a physical therapist and an ultra runner, a big proponent of natural footwear and barefoot running not as a cult or a religion, but more along the lines of saying, look, the goal is to be able to move, to move often, to move frequently, and most importantly, to move for many, many years. Sam, I want to thank you for coming back and talking to Moving to Live for a second time. I've enjoyed it just as much as the first time. Uh, thanks for having me, Ben. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore MOV number two LIV. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.